0: were an outside, strategic, objective, and politically intelligent observer of what has happened in the Southern Baptist Convention over the past 12 years, you would see that the path that the nation's largest evangelical Protestant convention of churches, with nearly 15 million members and 47,000 churches, that the path that the SBC has taken would only make sense if you were to understand the Southern Baptist Convention direction in light of what was happening at the same time with other transitioning affinity groups, corporations, media, arts and entertainment, education, the legal and judicial fields, well, they were all doing the exact same thing at the exact same time. And that is embracing radical subjectivism and deconstructing every bit of their organizations all at the same time as we deconstruct our entire society. In short, they're all going woke. And going woke doesn't just mean accepting the tenets of race Marxism, as communicated in the ideology known as critical race theory, and as made actionable after deconstructing of our society through intersectional methodologies, and as we will soon see as a central pillar of ESG. Environmental, social, and governance scores. That is, the new social credit designation that will accompany the transition of our analog monetary system that is infused with liberty, personal volition, and personal responsibility, and into a digital panopticon controlled by a technocratic oligarchy. Now, as I had just said previously, much of this isn't just about critical race theory. And as I have said, Critical race theory is not the goal. It is a tool to establish the goal. Goals that were articulated in some parts hundreds of years ago by Rousseau, Kant, Hegel, Marx, and more or less at the same time by the Fabians and Antonio Gramsci. Now, we've talked a lot about Gramsci in the past, in previous episodes, but let's just get another refresher. Gramsci, the Italian philosopher and politician, wrote more than 30 notebooks and 3,000 pages of history and analysis during his imprisonment in Italy. Many of his writings can be found in his three-volume prison notebooks. Gramsci sought to break with Karl Marx's economic determinism and base his theory on wielding and maintaining power by the ruling class, which has commonly been known as his theory of cultural hegemony. Gramsci believed that the ruling class, the bourgeoisie, used cultural institutions to maintain power. They use ideology rather than violence or economic force to propagate their own values by creating the capitalist zeitgeist. So, in Gramsci's Marxist and Hegel-informed views, cultural hegemony is maintained by the capitalist ruling class through the institutions that make up society's superstructure. So, Gramsci and Marxists define the superstructure as everything not directly having to do with production, such as family, culture, education, media, law, and religion. Gramsci's counter-hegemony is also deeply rooted in today's theory of intersectionality, which has been touted across the Southern Baptist seminaries. Intersectionality seeks to dismantle the existing cultural hegemony by ideological subversion and opposition, challenging the legitimacy of existing superstructural institutions like family, political power, and religion. And Saul Linsky describes the modus operandi for such an enterprise in the introduction of his book, Rules for Radicals. And He says, quote, What follows is for those who want to change the world from what it is to what they believe it should be. The Prince was written by Machiavelli for the haves on how to hold power. Rules for Radicals is written for the have nots on how to take it away. So a counter hegemony, in essence, is an alternative ethical view of society that seeks to challenge, undermine, and replace the existing cultural power structure. It has been described as the creation of a rival hegemony on the terrain of civil society in preparation for political change. In Gramsci's own words, he viewed the task this way. Socialism is precisely the religion that must overwhelm Christianity. In the New Order, socialism will triumph by first capturing the culture via infiltration of schools, universities, churches, and the media by transforming the consciousness of society. End quote. And this is the primary modern day goal of Klaus Schwab, who quotes Gramsci in his latest book, The Great Narrative. It is an all at once, at the same time, final push for the ideological, cultural, and economic revolution of the world. And within that revolution is the necessary cultural revolution in the church and in all religions. And so, because many of the elite in the Southern Baptist Convention decided that they were going to be ecclesial harlots for the Council on Foreign Relations and the World Economic Forum, the collective decision was made to start heading down this transitional pathway. And the key prefix here is trans, because what is happening is that those that have colluded with those Southern Baptist harlots, that were more than happy, excited in fact, To be a part of this great reset of everything, started down this path of transitioning Christianity, using the dialectic as the methodology, into the gospel of vengeance, into the social justice gospel. So the SBC began to take the path of nearly every other denomination, of nearly every other religious faith in the world, because as we are transitioned out of the analog realms of objective reality and into the digital realm of radical subjectivism, well, in other words, into the realm of the fourth industrial revolution, everyone and everything had to join the new metaphysical ecumenical cult. Because that is what this eventually is going to be. And as I have been saying publicly for nearly six years, this is an attempt to at the largest, most widespread cult startup in the history of the world. But to make this subjective cult, this woke jihad work, it had to be complete. In other words, it had to take over every pillar of our society. It had to be a long march through the institutions, a cultural revolution which is a slogan, by the way, the Long March Through the Institutions, coined by communist student activist Rudy Deutschke around 1967 to describe his strategy for establishing the conditions for revolution, subverting society by infiltrating every single institution in our civilization, and in doing so, being able to break the cultural hegemony that exists in Western civilization. I've called it before, top-down, bottom-up, inside-out. And then you install a new Marxian-Marcusian hegemony in our world. Now, Herbert Marcuse corresponded with Deutschki in 1971 to agree with this strategy, and he said this, quote, Let me tell you this, that I regard your notion of the long march through the institutions as the only effective way, end quote. So then, in his 1972 book, Counter-Revolution and Revolt, Herbert Marcuse wrote the following. Quote, to extend the base of the student movement, Rudi Deutschki has proposed the strategy of the long march through the institutions, working against the established institutions while working with them, but not simply by boring from within, rather by doing the job learning how to program and read computers, how to teach at all levels of education, how to use the mass media, how to organize production, how to recognize and eschew planned obsolescence, how to design, etc. And at the same time preserving one's own consciousness in working with others. The long march includes the concerted effort to build up counter-institutions. They have long been an aim of the movement, but the lack of funds was greatly responsible for their weakness and their inferior quality. They must be made competitive. This is especially important for the development of radical free media. The fact that the radical left has no equal access to the great chains of information and indoctrination is largely responsible for for its isolation, end quote. And so Marcusa, who was disappointed that the revolutions envisioned by him in the 1960s through creating ethnic and social strife, did not materialize. Well, he accepted and understood that the only way to have the Marxist methodologies win in a successful capitalist society was to infiltrate and transition the pillars of culture, corporations, production, finance, politics, media, technology, and religion. Infiltrate through entryism and create a mutually supportive network of the rest of society, deciding what the new normal is for what was Western civilization. And if you didn't know before by listening to my podcast over the last five years, that is what the role of the World Economic Forum is to create a supranational cabal of economic collusion that will strangle anyone in any institution that refuses to religiously make the dreams come true of people like Klaus Schwab, Larry Fink, and not to mention Herbert Marcuse Antonio Gramsci, Zbigniew Brzezinski, GWF Hegel, Karl Marx, Paulo Ferreri, George Bernard Shaw. I know some of you still have a hard time with that, but it's true, he was... One of the most evil men that ever lived, H.G. Wells, and all sorts of other sick, twisted ideologues. To impose this woke jihad on the world and make the impossible possible. This is societal alchemy. In the infiltration of existing institutions, you use men with familiar names and reputations to create the environment necessary for entryism. And as I have explained in previous podcasts, Entryism is a technique that provides a means for a small but determined group to leverage their influence onto a larger sphere by using the entered organization's resources, you know, funding, existing networks of members, current tax structures. Well, it is most commonly associated with attempts to move an organization further leftward and as a way to remove those that will not be loyal to the incoming change-focused regime and it makes sure that it keeps those that will be loyal and obedient in place. Where entryism occurs, you will suddenly find new mandates, new restrictions, and new ideologies that would have been unthinkable in previous years. Entryism is most commonly associated with attempts to move an organization further left, but is not exclusive to political parties. Entryists could target a corporate organization, charity, society, or faith-based religious group, like the Southern Baptist Convention. It is especially useful where a larger hierarchy does not exist. Those practicing a form of entryism many times will create a larger coalition of normally separated groups or denominations to create a previously non-existing authoritative hierarchy within their new larger coalition – which is why you have so many elite entryism members of the SBC as part of the ERLC or the North American Mission Board, or even members of the Gospel Coalition, the Hegelian dialectical machine of evangelical Christianity. And so, as men like Rick Warren and Ed Stetzer and Richard Land were basically standing on the street corner of Davos wearing their most attractive ecclesial robes, And making promises to the elites in Davos that if you really want to make your societal transformation successful, well, you'd better go through the experts that know how to affect change in Christianity. Those that could push the traditionally conservative evangelical church into the radically progressive Fourth Industrial Revolution. These men in the SBC, who could be bought for a few pieces of silver, began the transformation of the church. Yes, they started the process of transitioning the church, much like if you were an insane progressive parent who decided to help your five-year-old boy or your seven-year-old girl transition their sex, mutilating their sexual organs, their sexual organs that in the future would have been used for the propagation of the species. So, yes, many of these men who were supposed to be in charge of ensuring that the gospel and the faith of the churches in the SBC was propagated, the propagation of the faith, they mutilated the means of replication and propagation. They mutilated the gospel. And so, year after year... Men were brought to the positions of leadership in the SBC as president, as seminary heads, as those who would lead institutions within the SBC, Lifeway, the North American Mission Board, and the ERLC. And the men that were pushed to the top of the consideration list were always men that were connected to the new system, the new direction of the Southern Baptist Convention. And year after year, after year, after year, Over the last 20 years, you could see the situation in the Southern Baptist Convention gradualistically, incrementally, year by year, becoming more and more woke, destroying the old cultural hegemony, and creating a new neo-Marxist hegemony, each year with the elements of critical race theory, liberation theology, critical pedagogy, intersectionality being brought in through the seminaries, through LifeWay through the ERLC, through the North American Mission Board. And, as I have said in the past, the real woke renaissance of the Southern Baptist Convention was from around, and maybe a little bit before 2010, maybe a couple years earlier in some cases, to about... 2019 to 20, where Al Moeller, Danny Aiken, Jarvis Williams, J.D. Greer, Ed Litton, Beth Moore, Karen Swallow Pryor, Russell Moore, David Platt, Joe Carter, Ed Stetzer, Willie Rice, and in many churches across the nation began to preach the false gospel of vengeance of critical race theory, where they began to transition the church in such a way that the church would begin to embrace race Marxism. Because critical race theory basically just calls everything racist until it controls everything. So, again, as I have said repeatedly in the past, let me just give some quick clarifying ways to understand critical race theory. So, first would be calling everything one wants to control racist until it is fully under your control. James Lindsay's come up with that one. I think it's a pretty good synopsis. Also, a Marxian conflict theory of race, race Marxism. But also, as nearly a religious belief that Racism created by white people for their own benefit is the fundamental organizing principle of society. And that's where you have the concepts of systemic racism coming in, which is, again, going back to the cultural hegemony that Gramsci would have discussed almost 100 years ago. Now, in Southern Baptist circles, that worked for a while, because the faces that they saw saying these things were faces that they trusted in the past— Maybe people that you would see at really good conferences like at Leganier or at Grace to You and the Shepherds Conference. But all of a sudden, these people started saying these things too. They started promoting people within the church and within their seminaries that were rabid followers of this nonsense. Well, people knew that something was wrong, but they couldn't quite put a finger on it. But they could recognize that our Southern Baptist educational institutions were creating Ecclesio-Neo-Maoes, more or less a young Southern Baptist Red Guard that was hell-bent on creating their own cultural revolution in the Southern Baptist Convention. Young people everywhere that became disciples of neo maoist concepts in need of a cultural revolution, who follow their leaders and to destroy the four olds of the Southern Baptist Convention, the old theological positions, the old culture of the church the old hierarchies and traditions, and the old ways of knowing. It's basically what happened in China. But now you're importing that same strategy within the largest Protestant denomination in the United States. And that is one of the reasons why I began Sovereign Nations in 2017, because someone had to explain what was going on, and it had to be me because I was the one person who was in on the entire scheme beginning in 2009. And when I saw all of the awful and terrible things that would accompany this giant deconstruction of civilization, and when the men that I had previously held in high regard began to fade, my cognitive dissonance really quickly faded too. And someone had to explain what was going on with some degree of precision. You couldn't get this wrong. Now... Others did see that there was something happening and that it did have a Marxist stink to it, uh, such as J.D. Hall and Brandon House. But when Sovereign Nations had our conferences in 2017, 2018, and 2019, we provided the answers for those who wondered why their senior pastor started to sound an awful lot like Kamala Harris. Well, it's because their senior pastor was most likely a company man. And so, when Ed Stetzer or Al Mohler or Russell Moore came to speak to them about a change that was going to be happening, and that there was nothing that anyone could do to stop it, and then your senior pastor was told that if some changes and slight alterations to the gospel could be made, changes like embracing critical race theory, preaching social justice, preaching against systemic racism, and preaching in favor of globalism, basically, preaching like someone who was leading a Marxist revolution from your church's pulpit. Well, that's the right direction. And so, if you are at a mega church in the United States, most likely, your pastor knew, as I knew many years ago, that America was going to be cast into a cultural revolution. A revolution that would change all of our systems. Where the United States was going to be disrupted and dismantled. And instead of your pastor warning the flock about this horrible, awful, enviro-communo-fascist revolution that would take place, he kept it to himself and then used the things that some of those men that had approached him before told him to do and told him to say to manipulate you. He tried to manipulate his flock and was part of the Cultural Revolution. In the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, it is good to remember that not every pastor in the SBC has had the prescient knowledge of what was going to be happening in this final global insurrection known as the Great Reset to usher in the Fourth Industrial Revolution. But those that were close to the seats of power and influence in the Southern Baptist Convention did know. And many of the pastors in the SBC that just wanted to pastor their churches and lead their congregations as they worship the Lord and form loving, strengthening congregations. Well, it was usually the men that are committed doctrinally to pursuing the truth and and loving God that were left out of many of those conversations with the elites. And as we previously stated, that is how this basically works. With entryism. And entryism is practiced to make sure that those good men with godly intentions don't come close to taking the reins of power and control away from those who are committed to the Southern Baptist Cultural Revolution. Because if a good man were to get into a seat of power where they could make committee appointments and request to see files and request to see transcripts of meetings, well, some rather horrible, deceptive, downright traitorous to the king of kings things would be uncovered. And that is because the main purpose and intent of those who have been in control of the Southern Baptist Convention over the past several years has not been to propagate the gospel and sanctify their members through the preaching of scripture. It has been instead to deconstruct the church incrementally, gradualistically, change the entire culture of the Southern Baptist Convention and the Evangelical Church itself, so that the Southern Baptist Convention can fit like cogs in a wheel in the new system, at the same time that every other denomination, parachurch ministry, seminary, and every other religion, every other affinity group, every other corporation, every other educational institution, every other governmental institution, every other financial institution is changing in the same way to fit into the new system. A new system that rejects human liberty, rejects freedom of conscience, a new system that rejects cognitive liberty, a new system that rejects the freedom of religion, a new system that demands that the culture of America must change, and it must darkly evolve. So in many ways, as the goal has been to disrupt and dismantle the culture of the United States and Western civilization, knocking down or perverting our pillars of culture in America, the best way to understand what is happening to the Southern Baptist Convention, and evangelicalism in general, through the lens of a Hegelian gospel coalition— is to look at other major pillars of culture in America. So if you want to understand what, how, why, and when the Southern Baptist Convention started changing in America, we'll just look at... Disney. The predominant cultural icon that, only a few years ago, represented nearly everything wholesome, good, and trustworthy for childhood entertainment and recreation. But... That all started to change incrementally, gradualistically, a few decades ago. About the same time that things started to change in the Southern Baptist Convention. At nine marks, at the Gospel Coalition, at Campus Crusade for Christ, which is now known as CRU. And CRU is not calling young people to put their faith and trust in Christ so much as they are calling young people, literally, into a revolution. A cultural revolution. Yes, Campus Crusade for Christ is calling young people to join a cultural revolution. And it is out with the four olds of the old way of doing what was known as church. And in with the neo Marxist, Gramscian Marcusian Revolutionary Church. That is what is happening. So, it is about time that my brothers and sisters in Christ transition from the gentle as doves way of doing things in the Southern Baptist Convention and start to phase into the wise as serpents way of doing things in the Southern Baptist Convention. Because in a cultural revolution, you embrace the revolutionary change with religious fervor. You also Because the cause of the revolution is so important, you act dishonestly with those that are committed to the old ways in order to deceive them. Because the last thing you want before you completely seize the power is to have a counter-revolution from those that are honest. So you want to make sure that you keep the peace to some extent, but you also will do everything possible if you see them starting to rise to power, to cut them down quickly, any means necessary. And so, what those that are in positions of power currently in the SBC are doing to keep their momentum of change in evangelicalism is to begin to create a counter-hegemony of the Southern Baptist Convention, and begin to change the meaning of words, and begin to change the objective criteria for epistemology. And hence, then, hermeneutics will change. And so, what the leaders of the culture Revolution and the SBC have done is create a simulacrum of the Southern Baptist Convention, a hyper-real form of evangelical Christianity. And although I recorded a full podcast on the causes of things a few months ago that explained simulacra and simulation, let me briefly explain what has happened to the now simulacrum of the Southern Baptist Convention. Well, the stages that lead to complete simulacra, the road to the hyperreal, according to Jean Baudrillard, can be briefly understood as follows. Well, first, we start with the real, the actual object itself, objective reality. The next phase in the road to the hyperreal is the reflection. This symbol is a good reflection or faithful copy. But the next phase is the mask. And this symbol is a perverted appearance or an unfaithful copy, which then descends to the next level, the illusion. This is a cover-up, pretending to be a faithful copy. And lastly, pure simulacra, where it has no relation to reality of what was true whatsoever. And so, to create a new revolutionary cultural hegemony in the Southern Baptist Convention, you had to start down the path of deconstruction of the real and phase into the hyperreal. The path to the eventual simulacrum of evangelical Christianity was necessary to start that way. So again, first, you had to start with the real thing itself. The gospel is revealed through the scriptures themselves. And with the understanding, that the scriptures are both inerrant and as well sufficient for faith and practice. And you practice ecclesia reformata, semper reformata, the church reformed, always reforming. That is, that we are always to conform and continue to seek to conform to what has been revealed to us through the word of God. So, in essence, the Christian evangelical church originally sought to be a reflection of the original That was the entire purpose of the Protestant Reformation, to reform the Church to the objective truth as understood in the source of special revelation while still recognizing the objective truth of general revelation. And the Reformers believed strongly that the Catholic Church had departed from being the reflection or faithful copy of the original. But then comes the second stage of transformation into the hyperreal simulacrum. If you remember, number two was the mask. The mask, this symbol, is a perverted appearance or an unfaithful copy, which masks and denatures reality as an evil appearance. It is maleficence, and in this second stage. Signs and images do not faithfully reveal reality to us, but can hint at the existence of an obscure reality, which the sign itself is incapable of encapsulating anymore. So, as the conservative resurgence happened within the SBC, within only a few years, men who were trusted for truth in the Southern Baptist Convention and broader evangelicalism began to hang out or spend time with the greatest and largest simulacra machine known to man, the World Economic Forum. And as well, other groups associated with the World Economic Forum, like the Council on Foreign Relations. And at first, you really didn't see any major changes. Some of these men actually preached good sermons. They wrote good books. They spoke at really good conferences and were on the stage next to genuine, true, originalist believers like John MacArthur and R.C. Sproul. Good men. Good men that were faithful copies of the original. They never descended down the road of Simulacra. But then, then, with those men that were dedicated to the second stage, well, then the mask started to appear. And this is where the maleficence began. The hiring of professors who were well-versed and true believers in critical theory, critical race theory, critical pedagogy, which has a theological systematic structure, by the way, and a focus on social justice. And so, you begin to shift from the old way of teaching and learning about the Bible and about the faith and exegetical hermeneutics, and you explore new ways of learning, new knowledges and pathways to the new subjective truths. And folks at the World Economic Forum and Council on Foreign Relations just love this path that you are taking, and they will keep on encouraging you and find new pathways of funding for you. You see, this is the role of religion in the Great Reset into the Fourth Industrial Revolution. And now you're a big part of it. And you, SBC leaders, are showing that you are really serious about making these transformational changes. Now, as this starts in the seminaries and universities within the SBC, you begin to form a coalition of other evangelical churches, denominations, seminaries, and parachurch organizations, because you can't be out there alone, creating a wacky, radically subjective movement just in the SBC, which means that you will need to have the Presbyterian Church in America jump in with you. You will need to have Moody Bible Institute join in with you. You will need to have Dallas Theological Seminary jump in with you. You will need to have Reformed Theological Seminary take the lead and consolidate their campuses under and Duncan, who will gladly do what Mr. Riotti wants them to do. And as you begin the aggressive cultural revolution that will replace the current hegemony of the Southern Baptist Convention, you will have some pastors and professors who have been sympathetic to issues around social justice and liberation theology. Well, they will gladly join in the march through the institution without knowing the real intent behind the transformation of evangelical Christianity. And those men will not be told that this is actually part of a societal reset into the Fourth Industrial Revolution. But those men sympathetic with all things social justice will be very useful for your cause. The communists would call these kind of people useful idiots because these people don't know the actual, terrible, horrible intent that the men who are doing the will of the World Economic Forum actually have. But now, as the Southern Baptist Convention began its transition into the third stage of reaching a complete simulacra of what evangelicalism was, well, when you're going into the third stage, you need to have your own set of experts new experts will be coming on the scene that will explain to all the faithful what they really need to know about these new ideologies that you're bringing in. And as these new terms are introduced into the Southern Baptist Convention, you knight these new experts to start talking about intersectionality, about critical race theory, And you even have fake debates between your Southern Baptist expert on critical theory and some of the more radical elements of the Southern Baptist Red Guard that you are building. But this new Praetorian Guard of experts on critical theory have one purpose. Well, I should say two. One is to continue the dialectic, thesis, antithesis, synthesis. But also to guard the current leadership from attacks and calls for dismissal and to do battle with those that begin to question the obvious introduction of critical social justice in the Southern Baptist Convention. And then the third stage of the transformation of the Southern Baptist Convention is entered. And if you recall, the third stage in four steps to Simulacra is the illusion. This is a cover-up, pretending to be a faithful copy The third stage masks the absence of a profound reality, where the sign pretends to be a faithful copy, but it is a copy with no original. Signs, language, and images claim to represent something real, but no representation is taking place, and arbitrary words and images are merely suggested as things which they have no relationship to. Baudrillard calls this the order of sorcery, a regime of semantic Gnosticism where all human meaning is conjured artificially to appear as a reference to the increasingly Hermetic truth, which is where we would talk about reflexivity, where we would understand Pygmalionism. Now, in many ways, the pathway of the Southern Baptist Convention was very clear. With Southern Baptist Theological Seminary's Matt Hall speaking on panels in favor of critical race theory. With Russell Moore pushing the MLK50 event, which was, at that time, the largest critical social justice celebration of the SBC cultural revolution yet. You had panels of men going to churches like Buck Run Baptist Church, where you had folks like Jarvis Williams and others talking about critical race theory in a very positive sense. You had this happening at Calvary Church in Clearwater with Willie Rice embracing white fragility and other crazy schemes like this. Now, this, of course, led into 2018's T4G with Moeller, Dever, Duncan, Platt, and others pushing the evangelical reformed, the young restless reformed, further into stage three of creating a simulacrum of evangelical Christianity. That young, restless reform group and passionate followers of folks like Russell Moore, Danny Aiken, and Mark Dever were the new, developing Red Guard of the Cultural Revolution in the Southern Baptist Convention, filled with passion, snark, and the raised fist of revolution. But with the giant pushback from yours truly at Sovereign Nations, from G3, from Founders Ministries, from John MacArthur, from Jordan Hall, from James White, from Votie Bacham, the freight train of this critical social justice-minded cultural revolution in the Southern Baptist Convention retreated from their bailey and jumped into their mot. And the Praetorian Guard was there to guard all of them. A new president was then elected to the Southern Baptist Convention, Pastor J.D. Greer. And as a matter of fact, some of the expert Praetorian Guard came from J.D. Greer's Revolutionary Church. And right away, J.D. Greer started to do everything that he could to deconstruct the hierarchy of the Southern Baptist Convention. He was more than happy to assist in the transformation of the meaning of words. He was instrumental in joining with the others in the SBC who were leading the cultural revolution of the Southern Baptist Convention. And in June of 2019, Pastor J.D. Greer introduced his hand-picked Resolutions Committee. And now, the infamous Resolution 9, endorsing the use of critical race theory and intersectionality into the Southern Baptist Convention, was passed. And J.D. Greer's Praetorian Guard thought it was great. But Resolution 9 was the official notice that the Southern Baptist Convention had started to enter the final stage of becoming a simulacrum of what the Southern Baptist Convention was. The Southern Baptist Convention had now become pure simulacra, and under the new current leadership, it now has no relation to reality or to the Word of God in the Scriptures, as intended by The authors, whatsoever. This is a regime of total equivalency, where what were the cultural products of the new Southern Baptist Convention need no longer even to pretend to be real in a naive sense. Because the experiences and claims of those who are in power of the Southern Baptist Convention are so predominantly artificial that even claims to reality are expected to be phrased in artificial or hyper-real terms. And this was clearly demonstrated from the sermons that J.D. Greer preached for many years. Because those sermons that J.D. Greer preached were the exact same sermons that incoming president, Ed Litton, preached. And the sermons did not originate from either J.D. Greer or Ed Litton. They originated from a progressive sermon factory. Dawson. So two Southern Baptist presidents when preaching at their own churches, were reading sermons and practicing them and getting up and delivering them like actors. And those sermons came from Dawson, a progressive-minded script factory. Their sermons were pure simulacrum. They bore no resemblance to what was real. And the last two presidents of the Southern Baptist Convention were simulacrums of the Southern Baptist Presidents, placed in their positions only to accelerate the contradictions and to emanatize the eschaton, to ensure that the cultural hegemony of the Southern Baptist Convention would be replaced with a counter-hegemony, just as Gramsci, Mao, Marx, and Marcuse said it should be done as are all the phony and created crises that originate from their leadership, as are the Baptist news services that support their Gramscian cultural revolution, their long march through the Southern Baptist Convention, their cultural revolution in the Southern Baptist Convention, and whatever way the Southern Baptist Convention goes, so goes the rest of evangelical Christianity, accelerating the contradictions, a simulacrum of... What was the Southern Baptist Convention? But just as with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, so too can the faithful of the Southern Baptist Convention take back the Southern Baptist Convention, can resurrect the buried faithful Christian witness that it once was, and reject the dark cultural revolution brought on by the revolutionaries. And if you are a Southern Baptist, and are ready to breathe the breath of true life back into the Southern Baptist Convention if you are ready to end this marxist infusion into evangelicalism then show up in anaheim in june this year and vote for vody bachum and tom Askell. the only other choice outside of tom and vody is the continuation of the long march through the southern baptist institutions and we have a responsibility to save what the Lord has entrusted to us. So show up in Anaheim, because we must win. I'm Michael O'Fallon, and this has been Public Occurrences, Both Foreign and Domestic.